I'm not old enough to have experienced and watched and grown up with the classic, quiet, low man heroes played by Clint Eastwood or John Wayne. But the heroes that I grew up with were still very much solitary figures. Think of Sylvester Stallone playing Rambo and taking on entire Russian armies. Think of Arnold uh, being the Terminator and taking on the whole evil Skynet computer out of control network or being commando, a lone commando taken on whatever the bad guys who stole his, uh, who, who kidnapped his daughter or you know, him being this guy fighting against the, in Predator, these evil monster alien dudes. They're all very solitary figures. And yet I think there has been a change, right? If you go see the movies at all, there's so many superhero movies. That, and if you love superhero movies, you're like, yay, keep making more. But um, I think what is interesting is that there is more and more like our superheroes are superheroing in community with one another. Right? Think of the Avengers, right? There's like, how many more superheroes can we add to the cast of Avengers? Like, I can't keep track of all these random superheroes that I've never ever heard of. And yet, we love it. We love that our superheroes are in community together, fighting against the evils of the world, finding purpose together, and getting along. And we know even if they have conflict, because you know it's that kind of movie, they will resolve their conflict and find a way to work together for good. And we love it. And we love this community of superheroes so much, so much so that when Avengers storyline ended with Endgame, some people seriously grieved the end of that storyline, even though you know they're going to make like 10 billion more Avenger movies. Don't worry, they want to take your money, right? And so we, people grieved, literally grieved. Like, I feel like I've lost my friends. I feel like I've lost a community of people, uh, whether the people who love the Avengers or literally the Avengers that you watch on screen. I mean, I'm not even a big Avengers fan, although I watched all of them. I felt sad, like, what's wrong with me? I was thinking, why am I sad? It's a stupid movie. Christians often forget how important community is. How important is that God has called us out and set us apart for his work together. Not as the lone man hero, but together as the people of God. And in America, of course, we're constantly fighting that individualism. Sometimes it's unnamed. Sometimes it's very much justified. And yet God calls us again and again, remember that you are the body of Christ together, called to go out to do God's work. So we're going to dive into today's message in Ephesians to remember that to be for the gospel very much involves the church doing it together. And we'll see that the main point is that the gospel means that the church is together in Christ so that we must minister together for Christ. So let's look. Uh, we didn't read these verses earlier, but it gives us a little bit context of the, the togetherness, the oneness that we have as um, the people of God. Verse um, 4 of chapter 4, Ephesians says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, just take in those rich words and think what oneness we have together as the people of God, what incredible connection we have through Christ. 
And it's hard because, again, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we are always fighting against an individualism. Like, we want to go our own way. And it means that, we, again, we forget that the, the church is literally the means and end of the gospel. The church is literally the means and ends of the gospel. It's the means in the sense that God uses the church, the people of God, to achieve bringing the kingdom of God to bear upon this world. And it is the end of the gospel also, and we forget this. It's because you could very justifiably say that the theme of Scripture is God calling a people to himself. And the end of the story, of the Christian story, is God's people together worshiping God and living together for God. So the church is the means and the end of the gospel, and we can forget that. We can forget how our individualism hurts the work of the gospel. And one um, Bible commentator said about individualism with regards to this text, he says, individualism is a mark of immaturity. Now, I think as I, you know, I think about ministry as a pastor, it's, it's easy to get possessive and territorial about ministry. Those who are involved in campus ministry on campus can feel that. It's like, why can't the campus ministries work together? Why is it always like, oh, there's only so many number of students who are Christians and looking for a campus group every year, and we got to make sure we get, you know, some of those. Or we could feel that as a church. And it's just silly, right? Like, if you think about undergrad ministry, like, Veritas, Salt Company, they're the ones killing it, right? And they have, whatever, 800 students on their weekly meeting, which is great. That's 800 out of 30,000 undergrads. It's like, there's so much work to do. There's nothing to be possessive and territorial over. There's just a place for every ministry, every group to work together in different ways to bring about um, the kingdom of God. There's this nonprofit that our church and Veritas and Grace Community and High Point are trying to start. It's called Hope for Johnson County. Some of you have heard about it. Honestly, it's been a long road, and I'm kind of wondering, like, why are we still kind of trying to get to, to real ministry here? And, but I, I'm committed to it, because I'm so glad that there are these three other churches that are saying, let's do work together. And it's taking so long because churches aren't used to doing stuff together. And it's like, oh, all these differences. We got to work it out. We got to get on the same page. And it's worth it to me. It's worth it to slug it out, to try to get on the same page so that we might serve this city for the glory of God, that the church might be seen as, as, as a church that is caring for this city and bringing the love of Christ to this city. So we're always fighting that. We're fighting that individualism that wants to be territorial, wants to think, well, oh, I have it the right way, so these other groups or these other churches are doing it the wrong way. But I think we have to start with ourselves, too. How do we as a church, you know, the, the hundred or so people that say one ancient hope is their home, how do we as a church come together in a way to say we belong to each other? We want to do life together. We want to do ministry together. We want to know each other and care for one another. We want to be on mission together. Uh, you know, when we went to hand out flyers for the open house last Sunday, it was fun. It was like, wow, we're, you know, we're out there, a little bit scared, but doing mission together, experiencing those fears and those, 
taking those risks together, knocking on doors, a little bit apprehensive, a little bit sheepish, but you know, getting, getting out there and doing ministry together. But how can we even get beyond that in terms of like speaking into each other's stories, speaking into each other's hurts as a people? We need each other. St. Cyprian said this in The Unity of the Catholic Church. He said this, you cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. You cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. I think that's something that, again, is often lost in American society. It's like, it's me and Jesus, right? I got Jesus, that's all I need. But the church is the body of Christ. It's like saying, I just need God, but I don't need the body of Christ. It's like, well, then you just get the head. So you're, that's kind of weird. A floating head is a bit weird, right? Like God says, we need the church. It's funny because I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, right? You have, some of you have come faithfully every week and I'm preaching to the choir. But we know so many fellow Christians who just think, ah, the church, it's all messed up. I don't want to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of a church. And it's more and more tempting in our culture today. You can get way better preaching than this online. That's just the truth. I have to accept that as a pastor. You can get way better preaching than this. And, you know, you could live stream services on your TV. Maybe you have a great TV system and it's like being there, right? But it's not the same thing. It's not about getting some content. It's not about getting some experience. It's about being connected together as the body of Christ, right? Connected together. Again, if you think about the body of Christ, if we just stayed home and did worship on our own, it's like the hand is worshiping in one place, the nose is worshiping in one place, the ear is worshiping in one place. God says the body needs to come together. And it's obviously, maybe not obviously, it's not even just about worship. It's about being connected as a corporate body so that we might do the work of God, that we might have an identity as a local body to do the work of God together. You can't do that even if you listen to the best preaching online and never do anything else. God calls us to be the means and end of the gospel. What we practice here on earth is what we will live out for all eternity. So if all we're doing is live streaming services every Sunday, then we are certainly not going to know what to do with eternity together, right? God calls us, the church, together to go out and be the kingdom of God in this world. And so we, the church, again, we are one body with one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are called to oneness to Christ and to one another. And so it means being for the gospel means that you are, you're for the church as well. Being for the gospel means being for the church. Being for the gospel means being for one another in Christ. Again, the church is the means and ends to the gospel. Now, it's interesting. In verse 11, which we heard read earlier, he goes on and talks, talks about some particular roles given to people in the church. 
It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up the body of Christ. I just want to say a few words about these different categories and then the purpose of them. So first we, we see the apostles. And the apostles' role shows us that the gospel is historical and material. Material in the sense of like, not like, that we are material. We are embodied people. The word apostles is used in scripture mostly to talk about the men who were with Jesus, who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, who spent time with Jesus. And Paul describing himself as the anomaly, the weird one who, who, didn't, who wasn't spending time with Jesus directly, but Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a special way so that he might be an apostle for the kingdom of God. So these are, are, are the people commissioned by Jesus for the founding of the church. And again, it, it reminds us, the church and the gospel is based in history, is based in historical facts. It is based on material people relating to a material God in Jesus. It's not just all floofy, spiritual, pie-in-the-sky stuff. The gospel is historical material, and the apostles were the foundation for the church and the gospel going forth. But then we see the prophets. The prophets in the New Testament particularly were those who, who taught special revelation to the early church, often authors of scripture as well, but they functioned to, to predict the future, to exhort, to encourage, to teach about the things of God, to warn and to explain. And again, along with the apostles, those prophets in the New Testament's form the foundation of what we believe in today, of what we follow. They were, again, foundational to the gospel going forth. And it shows us that the gospel is authoritative. The gospel is authoritative. And this is important because the gospels, the gospels, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of scripture that contain the gospel message, the good news message, is recorded for us by the prophets of God and that's an important fact because, again, it tells us that, that the, this message, this gospel, is authoritative in the sense that it contains and comes with the authority of God. And this is of great importance because if it is not authoritative, if it does, if it does not, then it does not have the authority to call us away from our sin and brokenness. brokenness. Then it does not have the authority to bring us back into relationship with God. It does not have the authority to to call us to goodness in this world. If scripture is just some positive messages where, and we cut out the stuff that we don't really like, then it has no authority. Then we are wasting our time. Then we should just go home and listen to whatever our preferred positive messages are. And even worse, positive messages and moral, moralism do not have the power to overcome evil. And I know we don't like to talk about evil because it's depressing. But in our sober moments, we know it's real. And we know it is much worse than we want to believe. And some of that's in our own hearts. And a lot of it is in, in the world. If the gospel is not authoritative, what hope do we have in this world? Paul goes on to talk about the evangelists. There are people who are especially gifted with proclaiming the gospel. And in scripture, those who particularly were sent to regions who had 
yet to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and they show us that the gospel is infectious. Think about this. Just think about the fact of the growth of the Christian church since Jesus' time. It's been built on the relationship and love and grace and forgiveness and call to repentance by Jesus, and yet it has spread in such power far and wide globally and continues to do so. It has great power and has gone out in an infectious way. And Christians continue, it seems, to go out to like the most dangerous countries, hostile to the Christian faith, to share this infectious gospel, to risk their lives, to risk persecution for the sake of people knowing God, knowing and experiencing God's love, experiencing the freedom from sin that Christ promises, to experience the hope that we have through Christ. And so we need evangelists. We continue to need evangelists here locally and abroad, all over the world. This gospel that is so infectious, it becomes embodied in the people of God. And it reminds us again the importance of the people of God. I was just speaking to one of the elders yesterday at the open house, and we were reflecting on how for both of us, we, we grew up with kind of uh, really an adamant and conscious uh, againstness to Christianity. And in the end, it wasn't ideas, it wasn't arguments, uh, it was being with Christians and experiencing the shocking and weird love and acceptance of God's people that turned our hearts, that that was part of both of our stories. And I can still remember very clearly being with Christians for the first time as a group and just really literally thinking, these are some weird people, but like in the best way possible, like who acts like this? Who is so loving and accepting? I've never experienced this before. It's so weird. I want to be around it more because it's so unusual. And maybe we don't, it's not as obvious now in America, but I remember when I did ministry in Hong Kong just a few years ago, the church was so much like that. And maybe it's just the contrast with the big city life of Hong Kong where it's doggy dog, like the church was such a refuge for people. And that, that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be this place where God's unconditional love is embodied in the people of God. And yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we mess it up. Yes, we can get judgmental. But our hope and what we strive for always is that we can still do it imperfectly and yet in a way that shines forth this unconditional love of God, that the gospel so fills us that that when people come in our midst, literally come into our midst, they go, wow, this is a shocking and weird place in the way that they greet me and welcome me. And I hope that's true. I mean, I visited Inside Out for the first time on Thursday night, really just to invite them to the open house this Saturday. Say, hey, come to the open house, come to our church, you're welcome. I've done this kind of stuff a lot. And you go in front of people as a pastor to say, hey, come to our thing. And most of the time, it's just blank faces. You know, people are like, whatever, pastor. Okay, move on. Like, 
I was shocked how well received I was. And, you know, people were like, oh, can we get a ride there? You know, we're at Hope House and we don't have a way of getting to church. And, and as I was trying to leave, like one of the board members stood up and said, thank you so much for coming. I was like, okay, I just gave an announcement, but okay. Um, and one, the caseworker, Rich, who works here full time, he was like, it meant a lot to them that a pastor came to them, the formerly incarcerated, to say, you are welcome to come to this church. And I believe you will be welcomed when you come, which I, that's, I, I have such a great sense of relief as a pastor that I know when new people come to this church or when people who don't fit whatever we think of as normal, which is no such thing, that they will be welcomed. That is the culture that has been built at this church, and I trust that. And I trust that you know, when those men visit, that they will be welcomed. And I hope, not just welcome, but experience the shocking, weird love of God embodied in a people. So I hope that we continue to live out this infectious nature of the gospel and to be willing to share it. Paul goes on to speak about how the gospel is nurturing through the roles of pastor and teacher. Now, pastor and teacher are these two words that normally go together to refer to um, a single set of individuals who are both uh, shepherd and, and um, instruct the, the God's, God's flock. Now, they can be often the same person, but they can also be uh, two different groups of people, but they kind of serve in these complementary roles, and they're entrusted to nurture and protect and, and, and oversee the, the people of God. And so, you know, this is me. This is the elders of this church. And in case you don't know, one particular distinction of, of, a, of a gift that a, an elder is meant to have is the ability to teach the faith, to be a teacher, as it says here. And one of the particular responsibilities, and I guess you need to be gifted too, but I would say this is something I really think anyone can learn as they grow in Christ, is the responsibility to shepherd God's people to desire and attempt to nurture and care for the people of God in that particular local church. And again, I don't know if you know this, but your elders here work really hard and they care about you as a people. And yes, we're all imperfect as well. We pray for you at our monthly meetings. We pray for you in our individual times. We hope that we have chances to get to know you so that we can live out this calling and responsibility to be shepherds, to care, to nurture people who come to this church. And if we have failed to do so, if you're in, this, if you're in a pew right now, you're like, well, you haven't cared for me. Um, I hope that you understand also it is a two-way street. You know, yes, we're, we're limited, imperfect people. I really believe our heart's in the right place. If we have failed to reach out to you, please reach out to us. Reach out to us, and, and you will find elders who, who desire to make time to get to know you um, or find ways to get more involved in the church where you get to rub shoulders with other members of the church, other elders of the church, uh, so that we can get to, get to know you. One of our primary avenues for, for, this, uh, for being shepherds of this church is, is our hope that people will find the ability to join a community group in our church, which they're about to start in October. And so it, consider that, you know, and, 
And you know, I have these conversations with all the time, and as a pastor, I know I trigger everyone's guilt. You, you see me and you feel guilty because of whatever. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't been to church in three weeks. I didn't even notice, but anyway. Uh, no, usually I do notice, actually. It's not like a huge congregation, but you don't need to confess the moment you see me. Usually I'm just saying hi and wanting to chat with you. Um, not everyone, everyone's in a different stage of their life, and you know, maybe you literally just can't make any of the community groups that are on Sunday or Wednesday. They just happen to fall on those particular days. You know, there's men's Bible study that you could take advantage of. There's uh, women's book study that you could take advantage of. There's ways to serve. You know, serving in the church is another way that you just, you get community and you, you get to know people. You get to feel more connected. Use your gifts. And so, yes, please do join a community group if you can. But, you know, if you can't, find other ways uh, to be connected to the body of God. Now, okay, I set all that up really to say this. The gospel is all these things for one purpose, it says here. And verse 12 says it, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All those roles sound rather important, but they're only important so that the people of God are equipped for the work of ministry. This word, in case you're unfamiliar, uh, saints, it is used in scripture not to describe the super holy person who was really good and holy all of their life, and after they died, people recognize that person to be super holy and so then canonize them as a saint. That's not how scripture uses saint. Saint in scripture is used to describe all those who have put their faith in Christ. Okay, so when we say uh, the, to equip the saints, it's to equip those who have put their faith in Christ. And it's this weird juxtaposition because you're like, I don't really feel much like a saint. I'm, I'm sure if, if we could do like a blind poll, like if I said, raise your hand, close your eyes, raise your hand if you think you're a saint. You know, some of you be like, well, maybe theologically that's correct, but I don't really want to put my hand up because I don't really feel that way. And that's the beautiful truth of scripture. In this broken world, until Christ come back, we are both sinners and saints simultaneously. Always. We are already saints because of Christ's righteousness considered ours through faith in Christ. We are seen as perfectly holy in God's eyes, so we are saints in God's eyes. And yet, yes, we still inhabit this body of death that is prone to sin. We still have to face temptation. We still have to fight against our tendency to want to do or think or say the wrong things. So we are always saint and sinners at the same time. And that really, I think, is a beautiful phrase because to remember that we are sinners should send us into this world interacting with others with great humility. We are fellow sinners with everyone. And yet at the same time, we should be able to go out into this world with great comfort knowing that we are saints in God's eyes, that we have been made right with God, that we are already accepted by God, that we are already loved by God. That's why we are considered saints as well. So again, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their importance is only so that the saints of the church can do the work of ministry. The importance of this list 
is not those roles that seem so important, but the end product of the people of God going out into this world to do the work of God's ministry in this world, to act as God's representatives in this world. Verse 7, I'm going to go backward here. Verse 7 reminds us that each and every one of us, no matter whether you think you're good at stuff or not, has a role to play in God's kingdom and his ministry. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All of us share in the grace of salvation through faith in Christ. Yet this verse is also saying that each and every Christian is given a particular gift, a particular gift to be used as the church, as a person in the church for the work of ministry in this world. So the question is, do do you know what that gift is in you that God has given you to be used in this world to bring glory to God for the kingdom of God? If you don't, please Email me. Again, this is my job, to equip the saints. I would love to help you figure out what that is through conversation, through spiritual testing, um, perhaps just trying, helping you try different things out in terms of serving within the church or encouraging you to serve outside of the church where your gift may be best used. I know for me, there were many steps along the way at many different churches where I served in different capacities that helped me figure out what the Lord wanted to do with my life. And I didn't, you know, it's just a journey. It's a journey for all of us. Even when you figured out your career, there's still a lot of twists and turns that that are involved in that. And I can remember so clearly, like, as of whatever, a 22-year-old teaching five-year-old Sunday school and just loving it. Like, okay, this tells me something about me. Like, I love teaching five-year-olds. That's must be a special gift, right? No, they're, they're just so adorable, generally. It's like hard not to love it. But, um, and so there, there's a, there's such a be- there is a beauty in being a small church in some ways because it's easier to know each other and the opportunities to jump into service are also just easier. It's just the way it is. Like, if you are interested in serving in some ways, I was talking to someone this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it made me realize that I forget, because I've been a pastor too long now, that sometimes when you're the person in the pew, you think there are all these barriers to serving in the church. So let me just make it clear. There's not many barriers. You need to be a Christian. <laughs> You need to seem like you're somewhat gifted for whatever the position is, and you need to be willing to be responsible and teachable. It's really not a very high bar, right? And we will walk alongside you in that. And so if if, if you're someone who's, again, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know how I can serve the church. I don't know how I can serve God in this world. I'm just lost. Please reach out and let's have those conversations. Because God calls us as the church to, to bring the hope of God to this world. And that sounds very general. And so we need to know what is our particular gift in which God can use us through the church and in this world. I want to end with just this quote from the Westminster Confession, which is a confession that our denomination holds to. 
Uh, it's kind of archaic language, but hopefully you follow. It says this, unto this Catholic, again, it means universal, unto this universal Catholic church, Catholic visible church, Christ has given the ministry, uh, the oracles and ordinance of God, the, the revelation and the commands of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and does by his own presence and spirit according to his promise make them effectual thereunto. Who talks like that? Anyway, it's funny to read it out loud in public. Um, he's just basically saying like God wants to gather the people of God from wherever they may be to perfect them into, who, into Christ's likeness. And it is God's presence and spirit that will make that work happen. That is our hope. That is what we can trust in. It is not just about our effort. The spirit of God works in us, applies Christ's truth in us so that we might live it out so that this incredible responsibility and maybe even burden that the gospel is the means, uh, the church is the means and the ends of the gospel, that we can bear that weight because we're filled with the Spirit of God. We are not alone in this task. And Christ will strengthen us and gift us and make it effective in this world through his own Spirit. Let's pray.